everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of my K-drama show. Man, I have fun doing this show. (laughs) I'm saying this because I'm very, very excited to chat about the K-drama that I'm talking about with you guys. I finished it kind of recently, um, watched it a bit later than when it aired, and I, I just adored this drama so much. It's a funny one, though, like, I don't know. Hopefully I'll have lots to say on it, but I just feel so like fizzy and excited and happy every time I think about this show. Uh, So the show that I am talking about is Moonshine. So the drama is called Moonshine. That's the English title, but the literal title is When Flowers Bloom, I Think of the Moon, Um, which is a lovely title, isn't it? How nice. Um, This drama... I feel like it's very under the radar. I don't feel like anyone or that I've seen particularly has been excited about it or maybe talking about it at all. I also get the general impression and don't quote me on this because I did zero research, but I don't know if it did that well when it aired um, domestically or internationally. I certainly didn't see anyone, you know, English language international fans sort of buzzing about it or anything, Um, which is a real shame, I think. I think it's such a shame. I absolutely loved this. It was wonderful. Um, So Moonshine is a 16-episode historical, I'm going to say rom-com slash adventure. It is fizzy and fun and light in its vibe. It is plot heavy in a good way, as in there's a brilliant romance. I Well, I really liked the romance that gets heaps of screen time, heaps of characterization, but it's not only about the romance. Each of the main characters are very fleshed out separately as their own people doing their own things in their own lives. Um, and realistically, the whole thing is kind of like, I want to say mystery slash adventure plot, but never too dark, really like zingy and fun and just rollicking. And I don't know, I just, I mean, you know, there's death and stuff and torture and all that kind of stuff because it is a Joseon set historical and, you know, that's what you what you do in these kind of dramas. Um, but yeah, it's just fun. I think fun and zippy is just the best way to describe this. And I just had the absolute most excellent time watching this. Like I couldn't believe how good it was. Um, I had zero expectations. But as always, um, when I, you know, am either going to hate on or absolutely love about a drama in a big, huge rant into your ears, I do like to say um, that obviously there are a lot of reasons that might be personal reasons that I really enjoyed this one. 
So, you know, you might be listening and you might have given this one a try. I have heard some people say that maybe it wasn't that interesting. Like some people might have found it a little bit boring. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of historicals, but I do kind of feel like this one is... You know, I wouldn't say you needed to be specifically a fan of historical K-dramas to get into this one because it is, it leans way more on kind of fun vibes and rom-com vibes than like court politics. And I think the mystery that's sort of the heart of it is more just, you know, two very cool characters, two young people falling in love while trying to solve this weird mystery and stuff and follow all these threads. And it's, you know, it's just really fun. So I don't, you know, it's not serious at all, I guess I'm saying. Um, so yeah, I just adored it. Um, but another reason maybe that I adored it is, so I... <sighs> I would, the historical that I watched before this one, like directly before this one was the red sleeve cuff. And if you listened to my big waffly episode about the red sleeve cuff, uh, which was my absolute favorite hands down K-drama of 2021, um, You'll obviously know that I loved it. It was my favorite. It was amazing. It's very, very different in vibes to this. But because I was really nervous about picking another historical to watch after The Red Sleeve, because The Red Sleeve hollowed me out like it made my heart ache for weeks. I'm still listening to the soundtrack on Spotify now. I just cannot get enough. Um, I just love it so much. And I was so nervous about going back into another sagok or, you know, another historical after that experience. I was like, obviously, whatever historical. I choose to watch next, I'm going to think it's shit because I'm only going to be able to compare it to the best one ever that I just finished watching. And which is why I think I really went into this with zero expectations to the point of maybe I'd kind of heard on the internet that some people were finding it boring and that, you know, maybe I would even drop it. I'd just give it a couple episodes, see what I thought. Um, and I was just hooked. I just loved it. I loved every moment of it. I thought there was great kind of like hooks at the end of the episodes. And I was like, oh, what happens next? You know, it was, and I thought the kind of, I don't know, the romance really, really hooked me particularly. Um, like I really enjoyed the rollicking plot and the adventure and the mystery and the investigations, which, you know, again, I love mysteries and investigations and I did love all that stuff. But it was the characters and, you know, the romance and the entanglements of the characters that really, I guess, was what hooked me and got me, you know, reaching for the episode to see how those elements of the character development, the romance development would kind of, um, you know, end up. Uh, there's fantastic kind of bickering vibes there. It's a real opposites attract kind of story. Um, and I loved the kind of character setups of why these two are going to clash so hardcore, but then, you know, fall in love despite the odds of why they shouldn't fall in love at all. And the kind of bickering vibes that they have until they're able to finally admit that they like each other is so much fun. Like it's a real hate to lovers kind of a bickering relationship. It's very, very funny. Um, there's even a love triangle in there that I thought was really good. I feel like sometimes in a lot of dramas, um, love triangles are put in because it's a trope that a lot of people love. I know a lot of people don't love it too. Um, I happen to be on the, I love love triangles kind of a corner of things. I do really, really like them. But I also feel that a lot of love triangles are just stuffed into a drama and it'll kind of just be a romance between a couple while 
you know, usually another dude stands around staring longingly at the female lead, but sort of not actually having any impact on the romance or the plot at all, um, as in the other two don't even know that he's interested. And I, I kind of find that as a love triangle kind of, I don't know, just kind of like, not a letdown, but just, I always kind of see those and I'm like, I guess, it, you know, imagine if you removed that second male lead from this drama, it would make no difference to the plot. Whilst I kind of felt that the love triangle in this one was really, really fun for me, I feel like, you know, even though the female lead's feelings weren't really going towards this other guy um, in a romantic way, he still was able to really stir the pot and kind of you know, create conflict in the relationship and sort of create a lot of complications in the relationship, um, which I really, really liked. So I felt like he, yeah, I, I just felt like he wasn't just a satellite going around the edges. He felt an integrated part of the main plot. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, there's also a second female lead in this who, again, doesn't feel like a tacked on character. I loved the second female lead in this. She was an absolute standout favorite for me. She was so much fun. So anyway, I'm kind of waffling about um, everything before I even get into it. Um, so yeah, I guess those are all the reasons why I really liked it. Um, and I was so surprised to enjoy it as much as I did. I really, really didn't expect it. Um, also, I really liked the music. And I'm just saying this now because I think I forgot to write that down in my notes. And that means I'll forget it later. But it's kind of like this kind of quirky, fun mix. There's a lot of instrumental or, you know, orchestral stuff. But a mix of kind of sounds like a little bit um, influenced by maybe traditional Korean music. Um, but also like with a quirky sort of modern edge. So yeah, just really really fun stuff and it looks beautiful I thought it looked beautiful and of course the cast is beautiful and I'm really kind of waffling and fangirling way before I meant to um so even though I loved this which I did uh the one problem I had with it was not the drama's fault at all. <laughs> so I started watching it a lot later after it had started airing, which meant that I was basically able to absolutely, like an insane person, binge watch 12 episodes. I'm pretty sure I didn't get off the couch for like... <laughs> I mean, I did. I had to go to work. But um, basically, even when I was at work, I was thinking about this drama. And it just took me a couple of days. And I was just every spare moment I was watching this show. And I couldn't believe like over the weekend how many episodes I was capable of just like just letting them roll over and just watch one after another after another. I just didn't get sick of it. It was so much fun. Um, and then I caught up to what was aired um, at that time. And very frustratingly, look, I know the Winter Olympics are important and shit. I know that they're a big cultural and sporting institution and a wonderful opportunity for sportists out there. But personally, not being a sportist, and although I do quite enjoy watching the figure skating or whatever, I much prefer watching my K-drama Moonshine when it airs when it's meant to air and not having it like pushed back for like two weeks. I think it was two weeks. Maybe it was one week. It felt like two weeks. I feel like it was two weeks. Anyway, it sucked. I hated it. So I got like pretty much most of the drama watched in this obsessive, like just absolutely in love with this show. And then there's just this huge break and I couldn't watch the last, you know, few episodes because of the bloody Winter Olympics. <laughs> I was so pissed off. <laughs> I do know they're important, but I guess they're not as important to me personally as K-drama and therefore I feel like they shouldn't exist. No, that's very harsh. I just feel like the shows should still air. 
but I understand why they don't. But it really sucked, particularly like at the very end of a drama, like everything's leading up to the end. All the relationships are amping up to the end. And then suddenly, you know, you don't get to watch any drama for freaking forever. Anyway. I'll stop complaining about the Winter Olympics now. Uh, so why I watched this one, um, I think that's probably pretty self-explanatory. No, it probably isn't. Um, obviously, I love historicals. That's why I watched this one. Uh, it was always on my agenda. I do wonder if maybe one of the reasons it didn't do so well, I think this one aired in Korea directly after King's Affection, which was another 2021 um, historical. And I think King's Affection did quite well. It was quite buzzy, quite buzzy around the leads and the story, which of course is, you know, a young woman pretending to be a crown prince and having to survive by hoodwinking everybody, which is a great setup. Um, so maybe that one had more of a hook. And then, of course, the Red Sleeve started airing. And this one must have been going maybe even at the same time as the end of the Red Sleeve, uh, which really makes me think, you know, the Red Sleeve was so popular. It was all I saw everywhere. Um, so I, I can only imagine this one just sort of fell in the cracks, which makes actually makes me quite sad because I think this one's worth a lot more than maybe how it will be thought about in the future, which is probably just one of those, oh yeah, that existed. Because I think it was excellent. It was so much fun. I loved it. Um, I might also say that the excellent vibes of this drama, this kind of like rom-com focus to the historical stuff, um, really kind of um it made me think a lot about one of my favorite k-dramas which is tale of nokdu from 2019 which stars um the actor jung dong yoon and also kim so hyun uh which is i just adore that drama i love it so much and this one because i had that huge gap because of the bloody winter olympics i actually went back and started watching tale of nokdu because i just wanted more of this sort of vibe like it's so much fun to watch a historical that is and look, I love gritty, serious historicals and I love deeply emotional, swoon-worthy ones like The Red Sleeve or, you know, really serious, authentic history ones um, like Nocturne Flower or something like that. But it's so much fun as well to watch a light, zippy-zingy, just like pure joy drama. But that's a Joseon set one instead of a modern contemporary one. Um, so, yeah. Did I say I loved this? <laughs> uh, so that's why I watched this. I was always going to watch it. Um, I would say I also very much so watched it because of the casting. Uh, so I'll hop into the casting now and tell you about that. Um, so the casting that I guess, you know, the, the actress that I was really, really excited about and really wanted to watch was Harry. So Harry's last role was... Um, what was it? Oh, my roommate is a gumiho. So that was the 2021 kind of romance fantasy contemporary drama, which of course was an enormous hit. It was so famous. Um, and that was a real turning point for me. You know, I'd seen Carrie and stuff before and I just never really connected with her. I hadn't really seen her in very much. I'd just seen Reply 1988, which she stars in. Who knows why I didn't like her in that. I'm sure if I went back and watched it now, I'd absolutely love her in it because I just feel like I've had such an about turn on this actress. I think she's so good. She's so charming. She's so beautiful, but she's so like, I don't know. She's got such a great toothy smile on her. For some reason, that really gets me. I just think she's so beautiful, but so charming. 
Um, so I was really, really excited to see what drama she would be in after my roommate is a gumiho and I was very determined to watch or at least give it a go or whatever she was in. So obviously I was super excited when I saw she'd been cast in a historical drama because that's very much to my personal taste. So that would be, you know, a huge pulling point for me in watching this other than the fact that it was historical, it was new, and of course I was going to watch it. <laughs> um, so this one, oh, so sorry, Kerry, uh, as well as my roommate is a gumiho. Um, she's also starred, no wait, she had a cameo apparently in Record of Youth, which I haven't watched. Um, but she was also in Miss Lee from 2019. I literally have no idea what Miss Lee from 2019 is. I kind of looked it up and I think it's about... Kerry being a CEO of an electronics company doesn't look like a romance. I don't know. I haven't watched it. It looks very boring. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Um, very odd choice. She's also in from 2018, Two Cops. And that's an interesting one. Two Cops from 2018. I mean, that that's another one that really flew under the radar, I want to say. Like, I totally forgot about that. That one actually stars uh, To Jong Sok and also, you know, the very famous and beloved Kim Sono from Hometown Cha Cha Cha. And yet, yeah, who even knows anything about this drama? Maybe you guys do. I don't. I clearly didn't watch it. <laughs> uh, so that is uh, Harry, who's so lovely. She's so great. She's so good in this. Um, so the male lead in Moonshine is played by the actor Yoo Sung Ho. So Yoo Sung Ho is such a good character in this. I absolutely loved him. Uh, so he, I guess his past dramas would be from 2020, he was in a drama called Memorist, which actually also starred Lee Se-yong, who I love, and she's the female lead from The Red Sleeve. Um, I did try watching Memorist. I think I watched a couple episodes, but it just didn't I don't know. It didn't kind of click for me. So I didn't end up continuing, but it's still there in the back of my mind that maybe I was in the wrong mood. I don't really know. Uh, he also in 2019 was in a drama called My Strange Hero. I haven't seen that one. Uh, and of course, he's in um, the very beloved 2018 drama, I'm Not a Robot with the very lovely Tess Bin. But I have a weird thing about robots, so although I did give that one a go, it didn't work for me. And yes, I know she's not really a robot. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's also from 2017. Uh, he was in another historical called The Emperor, Owner of the Mask, which I should watch because uh, Kim So Hyun is also in that, who's my favorite actress. Wow, I should really watch that. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I did watch it back then, a part of it in 2017, but I never finished it. So and now I'm I'm just on such a buzz of like rewatching and rediscovering things and finding out if I was actually correct when I dropped it or not. So I might go back and try that one again. Anyway, so that was the male lead in this drama, uh, Yoo Sung Ho. Uh, he's very charming. His character is just very funny in this. I really really enjoyed his character. Uh, so the second male lead in Moonshine is played by an actor called Byun Woo Sok. So Byun Woo Sok. Uh, is kind of an up-and-coming dude, I want to say. I first saw him in Flower Crew, Joseon Marriage Agency, which was from 2019. That's another kind of Joseon set rom-com. He played a side character, not even the second male lead, third male lead. And basically, he played a handsome man. 
I'm pretty sure his entire personality in that drama was a handsome, charming man. And I do feel that he's probably getting absolutely typecast into a handsome, charming man. Because that's what his character is in this as well. Except in Moonshine, he is not just a handsome, charming man. He is a handsome, charming crown prince man. Um, he's really good at it. I really liked him. Um, so this actor, um, Byonu Sok, was also in Record of Youth, where he plays the second male lead. That was from 2020 and now Moonshine 2021 slash 2. So yeah, I don't mind this guy. I think he's good. Um, and the second female lead in this drama, I absolutely loved her in this. So this actress's name is Kang Mina. Uh, so Kang Mina, I recognized her from a role um, in Hotel de Luna in 2019. So if you've seen Hotel de Luna, you will remember that there is kind of like a high school girl ghost high school girl situation uh, where this girl starts like working at Hotel de Luna, which of course is the big gothic, you know, ghosty ghost hotel place. And she ends up falling in love with like the little smiley bellboy dude who's also a ghost. And um, she's very, I just really like this actress a lot. And it was quite fun to see her have a prominent role in this drama. I thought the role was really fun. I think the role kind of subverted some of my expectations of maybe what the second female lead was going to be in a drama like this. Like it's a real sort of female friendship kind of role is what it evolves into rather than any sense of rivalry between her and, you know, Harry's character as the female lead. Um, there's no, you know, just because I guess Harry's character is quite lowly, and, you know, doesn't have good status, doesn't have money. Um, I, I thought that the second female lead who does have status, she's a noble woman. She's got a shit ton of money and like a really good name and clan backing her up. I thought there might be a bit of like cattiness or some sort of thing going on. And yet the second female lead in this just absolutely surprised me so much. She was just such a joy to watch on screen and, and just ended up being one of my favorite things about this drama. Um, so this actress, Kang Mina, is gorgeous like she's so beautiful um and she is what she, uh, really I've only seen her in Hotel de Luna she's been in other stuff too but I haven't really watched any of it apparently she even had a cameo in My Roommate is a Gumiho which presumably if I I mean I can't remember it but I'm sure she did <laughs> I'm sure this site is not lying to me um but she is uh she does have another drama apparently coming out in 2022 uh which is called Minam Dung, and that is not a drama that I know anything about, but I do believe she's also playing the second female lead in that and not the main female lead, which makes me sad. I'll look forward to when she gets lead roles, I think. I really liked her. So that was a huge waffle about the casting and lots of just fangirling about this drama in general. Should you watch it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you guys know what I'm going to say. I think you should definitely watch this one. I think it's I mean, just a, I, I would say give it a chance, um, even if it's not very buzzy. But, you know, I could be very wrong. Um, I know it's such a personal thing and I get so much joy out of historical dramas that sometimes I'm like, is this just a personal tasting? Because I, I love historicals so much that I'm just, you know, kind of more primed to just love them. I don't know. Um, but I would say if you do like historicals, absolutely watch it. And I think even if you're not into historicals, I think this one's, you know, it's really an adventure slash rom-com, you know, with heaps of bickering romance and a love triangle and so much fun. Um, so yeah, I think it's 
kind of an easy watch is what I would say. I really binged it. All right. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the setup of Moonshine. Although I wonder how it's going to go because I like I binged this one so hard that I feel like, you know, if you watch a drama slow, like maybe as it's airing week to week, you have a lot of time to mull over the events of every single episode you watch. Um, but when you watch it all at once in like two days, it just becomes this mad blur. And you're like, I don't even know what happened in this drama, but I know I loved it. So we'll see if I can decipher what actually happened at the beginning. Um, I'll do my best. Okay, so the setup of Moonshine, I literally cannot remember if I said it, it's a 16 episode drama from 2022. I really hope that I said this at the start of this episode. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, our female lead is played by the wonderful, gorgeous actress Harry, and her character's name is Kang Ro So. That's really hard for me to say. Kang Ro So. I think that's it. Ro So. Ro So. Uh, the, yeah. Mm, okay. I'll do my best. Um, so Kang Ro is, we find out her family used to be a noble family. I don't know if they were like super, super high, but basically I guess they must've been actually, um, because her dad was the previous crown prince's right hand, um, bodyguard, I guess. So a very specialized high up position, Royal guard. And she has an older brother, who is, he's a useless man, but in a very hapless, sort of harmless, nice kind of way. Um, but they do not have any money. So their mum's gone. They've basically lost everything. And they're, you know, living in a bit of a, it's not a hovel. It's a very nice Hunnock house, but it's not like a richy rich Hunnock house um, in obviously in Joseon times. And so basically she's a fallen noblewoman. She has the status of, I guess, a family name that I guess is no big deal anymore, um, but they have zero money. And on top of this, she's got the dumbest brother in the world who I like the fact that he's her older brother too, so he should be looking after her, but he's just so useless. But he's very likable in his useless sort ofness. Um, not to her though, because he, he just gets kind of hoodwinked into getting an enormous gambling debt within two minutes of anything. And we've already seen prior to her brother, you know, bringing home this ridiculous gambling debt that um, Rosso, 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 that sounds more Rosso. I wonder if that's what it is. Yeah. Rosso. Sorry, guys. I should have practiced trying to say her name. It's just so hard when you can't, like, if you can see it in Hangul, then I feel like you can say it how it's meant to be said. But the English, if you sound out the way it's written in English, it's always not how people actually say it in the drama. I have no idea who decided to romanize Korean in the way that it is spelled, but it never works if you sound it out in English. Anyway, rant over. Uh, so what am I saying now for her? Um, Raw so. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway, our female lead, Raw so, uh, we've kind of we've caught up with her at I guess a really low point of her life. We've we see her, she's very out for money, she's doing anything for money, so like odd jobs, all sorts of crap around town, including getting absolutely humiliated. So I think she goes for some odd jobs or something to some kind of like noble house or whatever and a lot of the maids there are whispering about her so these women are very you know they're not high women they're like 
work in the kitchen or whatever. And if they're maids at this time, that, you know, that generally means that they're slaves. <laughs> um, and so they're kind of seeing a woman that maybe used to be much higher than them, who used to be in a position to, you know, look down on them, but now is so washed up with her family situation and moneylessness that these women are kind of enjoying, you know, having one up on someone who used to be so high. So, you know, they're whispering about her and saying awful things. And then one of them says, um, you know, oh, I lost my special ring or whatever in this huge, basically a pit of poo. It's a big pit of poo. <laughs> it's always poo in dramas, isn't there? Anyway, um, it's fertilizer. It's, you know, it's there for a reason. <laughs> and uh, it's basically like a little vegetable patch field or whatever. And this maid is like, um, you know, Rosso. So if you crawl around in this poo pit and find this ring, then I'm going to give you, you know, a bag of monies or whatever. And so they kind of expect her to say no, but Rosso is just immediately like, yes, all right, cool, I'm going to do it. And so she's crawling around in there and, she, you know, she's just getting crap, literal crap all over her. It's really horrible. And obviously people are laughing at her and it's, you know, it's a real humiliating thing. She does it all day in order to get this bag of coins which she gets from the maid, even though I think the maid didn't really have that kind of money and was just goading her on. Um, so we see how hard she's working for money all the time. And then when her brother comes home with this mad debt, like this is a real problem because her brother is clearly, you know, he's meant to be studying, I think, for the civil service examination or whatever, which is why she's doing the work and doing making the living. Um, and we also, you know, because she needs this money now, we also, I think before the brother comes home, but whatever, um, we see her sort of trying to sell stuff on the street. And while she's doing that, like in a busy market street, this gangster dude turns up. So this gangster's name is Sung Mok, and he's kind of like, He's a recurring side character in the drama who at the start, you just want to punch in the face and throw in the bin. And then by the end, you're kind of fond of him, which I thought was really kind of fun and weird and interesting. And I really did not expect the places that this character went. Um, but he's just a big, blustering, horrible idiot bully. Um, and basically he turns up and Sung Mok, this gangster guy, to our female lead, Rosso, is just like, you know, what are you doing selling your stuff here? Like, you need to pay me protection money or, you know, Basically, he's just trying to extort her and this is like his turf or whatever. And he's part of some gang. And we immediately see that Rosso is, she's a pretty tough girl. Like she is such a cool character in this. Like I really, really liked her. Um, but she just stands up to him and she's furious and she refuses to budge. But of course, things get like way out of hand in that um, in a silly way, like, but it's still like, I don't know. Uh, the, the thing I really like about the drama is I think it does balance. Like there's this silly zippy kind of feel that's light, but it doesn't mean that you don't feel empathy for the characters or really connect emotionally with what's going on. So for instance, in this scene, you know, the gangster's horrible, but it's also kind of silly, you know, like at one point she's like ripping his hair out and he gets a bald patch and there's some silly stuff that happens. But when she, cries in fury at in frustration at the fact that she can't even sell some stuff he's ruined everything like all her wares I kind of remember what she's trying to sell and basically her life is fucked and she can't look after her home like you you feel a lot of emotion for her and I really loved that balance of you know there being enough depth to the characters and emotion to actually make you give a shit but also everything zippy and fun at the same time 
Um, so yeah, I thought that was really clever, just kind of tone of the show. Um, so of course, you know, this gangster, um, Sung Mok is kind of harassing Rosso and just being generally a big, um, dickhead, I would say. <laughs> and, our, our male lead turns up. So Nam Yong, uh, played by the actor Yoo Sung Ho. So Yong uh, is his name. He is like a regional dude. So he's kind of like, he's a noble man of that kind of, uh, you know, young bun class or whatever. And he's come to town to take the civil service examination in the hopes that he'll pass and maybe gain a, you know, a working position, some sort of government official position in the palace. That's his aim. He's also from, we, we, we find out he's been adopted into a prominent family, you know, maybe I think it's the North, like somewhere up North in Joseon. So like far away outside of the capital where this drama takes place in Hanyang. And um, I really liked this. So he is a very like well-to-do Confucian scholar sort of dude, which means that he's very righteous and everyone has to do the right thing via, you know, by his Confucian ideology. Um, so he has very particular ideas and he's very highly educated. Um, but what he is interesting and what I really liked is that even though he's come first in whatever examination he's done, you know, up in the north, when he arrives to Hanyang, to literally everybody else, he is nothing but a very silly country bumpkin, <laughs> which I thought was really, really fun. I liked, I really liked his character a lot because he's so, I want to say so uppity, so self-assured that he's right and, you know, his values are right and, and anyone who does anything outside of his, you know, very strict kind of Confucian ideals, he's so shocked and horrified, so very much so immediately he is absolutely shocked and horrified by literally everything that comes out of uh, Rosso's mouth. Like every word she says, he's like, oh, a lady wouldn't say that. So it's very, very funny kind of dynamics between them. And obviously, you know, Rosso is living a very different kind of life to him. And she literally does not give a fuck what a lady should or shouldn't say or should and shouldn't do. She's at the, you know, the survival line. Um, which is something that he just can't get his head around. He he has this vision of this perfect harmony of the way the world is. And he not only, like, I guess, isn't aware of, like, or doesn't believe that things should change from what he thinks they should be, but isn't even aware that things seem to exist outside of that. So I, I just love this kind of complete opposites kind of attract vibe between these two, because, of course, it leads to a shit ton of arguments, but a lot of very funny kind of arguments and bickering and stuff. And a lot of, you know, they really start out disliking each other in a very intense way. But at this point, Yong has just arrived in the capital with his manservant, who of course is his slave. <laughs> but, you know, in historicals, we just sort of ignore the fact that there's so many slaves. Um, and, you know, he's kind of friends with this guy, but at the same time, later in the drama, we see you know, Yong is again with the Confucian stuff and he's like, oh, I can't eat dinner at the same table as my slave or I can't, you know, sit next to someone of the opposite gender or touch them or, you know, very strict kind of divides between the classes and the genders and stuff, which at every single second of this drama, someone is just like, you know, getting into his space and doing something that he doesn't like to the point where eventually, of course, he has to change. And it's very, very funny watching this very uppity, you know, young scholar who's so sure of everything, just slowly like, I don't know, his defenses sort of crumble against these things that would be considered, 
you know, bad. And yet he's realizing that the way that he's been looking at the world is just not quite right. So I really loved his character progression. It was really fun. But it made sense as well, I think, to the drama. Um, so he turns up as this very naive but very uppity scholar and he's like, oh, a lady's in trouble. So obviously, you know, he turns up and he kind of like saves her from the gangster and stuff. But she is not grateful at all because the gangster has ruined everything, like all her wares and taken her money. So she's more like interested in you know, getting that back from him. She wants the money back. And Yong watching on to, you know, watching this this young woman who should be, you know, very quiet and demure and, you know, her eyes downcast or whatever, watching her literally yelling in the face of a gangster and grabbing his bow and arrow and trying to shoot the gangster in the head. Like, he's just so shocked. He doesn't even know what to do. And he thinks that Han Young is like, you know, obviously a place just filled with like crazy vagrants or something. So it's very funny. Um, so they have this really terrible first interaction and she just thinks, you know, he's a complete idiot. He's a country bumpkin. He doesn't, you know, she's got no time for him whatsoever other than the fact that he was telling her off, you know, lecturing her in the middle of the street. So they don't like each other. Um, and of course this gangster, you know, he comes back into it later. Um, but Yong then and his manslave, <laughs> Chongge is, is that dude's name, but anyway, his manslave guy, servant, we'll just call him a servant for the ease of our modern minds. <laughs> um, so because they're such country bumpkins, I really love this. Like the servant kind of brings Yong to this house. And of course, you know, it's the kind of um, hovely sort of hanok where uh, Rosso lives with her brother. And the servant is like, look, you know, Master Yong, um, this is the only place that we can afford. Like I found this real estate dude or whatever. And he says that this is the only place we can afford to rent um, because, you know, everything costs so much in, in the big city. And so they've just rented one room in Rosso's house where she lives with her brother. And then we immediately see that this real estate agent is utterly swindling them. And they should be, you know, for the amount of money that they're paying for one room in her house, they should be, you know, staying somewhere much, much, much nicer. Um, so again, that's very funny. And so, of course, you know, they end up living together. And I guess I'll give you some more overview, like parts of the plot rather than going into everything, because it's a very... It's a very quick plotted drama, actually, and a lot happens all the time. Um, but basically, Rosso is desperate to make money. And we find out that at this point in Joseon, um, there is a, a ban, a prohibition on alcohol. So just hopefully not to bore you guys, <laughs> but I did try and figure out, I was like, is this a real thing? Like, was liquor prohibited in Joseon? And I tried to do some like Googling and researching and I couldn't really find any record of it, except there was like one article where most of it was written in Korean. I think it's like a, you know, like an actual university um, paper or something. So presumably it's a correct thing, but most of it's in Korean. But the part, the one little introduction part that's in English did seem to say that during the Joseon period, there was um, prohibition in place, but it, it wasn't really upheld because obviously um, liquor and alcohol was a huge part of like Confucian rituals. So um, yeah, just daily life really, which this drama I think really kind of goes into like the warmth that liquor, you know, sharing a glass, sharing a drink with a friend can bring you closer and all, all these, you know, or like obviously funeral rites and um, ancestral um you know, like yearly sort of, I've forgotten the word, rights, you know what I mean. Um, all this stuff involves liquor. So 
yeah, very interesting. Um, but it does look like there were stricter periods toward the towards the end of the Joseon dynasty. But unfortunately, what happens, which is the same, is reflected in this drama, is that the general population are told they're not allowed, you know, that there's prohibition, they're not allowed to buy alcohol for, you know, their funeral rites or marriages or anything. Um, and they get into a lot of trouble if they do. But of course, the rich folk, the young bun, the noble class, just do whatever the fuck they want. And there's enormous corruption and they have a monopoly on, you know, selling it, the alcohol and stuff. So it just causes, you know, huge problems. And then, of course, as always, the lowly, you know, peasant people or middle class are the, are the ones that suffer but anyway um so yeah that was interesting i didn't really know much about that kind of prohibition stuff so that's when this drama is set there's um we we find out that there's been basically a 10-year prohibition under the current king and um it's it's quite strict and they've created like a whole I guess government office to enforce it which means that people are getting arrested all the time but of course that also means that there is like um you know black market trade on alcohol and there are a lot of like underground bars they're not actually underground they're just called underground I had a real problem with that when I was a kid I was like underground um anyway <laughs> that's really beside the point they're just you know like secret bars or whatever um so Rosso kind of figures out that so she she ends up going to the place where I think her brother like lost all the money and she's really upset everything's completely fucked and this is when she meets the second male lead um but anyway the point is um he buys her a glass of or you know a bowl of makuli or whatever a drink and um she's kind of her thing is she knows how to make it better than what is getting sold at all the illegal liquor establishments all around the city because when she was a kid, her dad um, taught her how to make it and make really, really good liquor, good quality. Um, and so she starts secretly making liquor. And this is just before Yong moves into her house. So she's secretly making it and she starts selling it with a friend of hers. So the friend works in, is kind of like a nurse in a um, kind of like, it's not a public hospital, but basically like a government run sort of public clinic for the people. And this woman, of course, is also a slave, servant slave. And she wants the money because she wants to buy, you know, um, her freedom, basically, so that she can get out of that class that she's in and be a free woman. And Rosso obviously needs the money because she's in under enormous strain because of this debt. And she's basically being told gangsters are going to come and break her brother apart anytime now if she doesn't get a lot of money to them very quickly with a lot of interest put on top. So she's pretty desperate and she can do this, you know, make this alcohol. So her and her friends start peddling it and selling it. But of course, this pisses off, you know, the gangsters in charge of actually bringing it in from outside the city. They're smuggling it in. They're selling it, you know, for way more money than Rosso and her friend are. Um, and of course, it catches the attention of the police. So we find out that Yong, he basically does his civil service examination. He gets top marks, um, except that there's so much corruption in the government that he's about to get completely overlooked, except one particular minister sort of steps forward for him and, and he's kind of vouches and, and kind of sets up this, this plot basically to enable Yong, if he's smart, which he is, um, to discredit the people that have come ahead of him in the examination. And of course it's, is nepotism the right word when you like put your son first over other people. I think that's the right word. 
Um, so basically, it's just a heavily corrupt system. Um, and this is really interesting because uh, when I was reading a lot about Joseon stuff, I actually came across this. And apparently, um, Han Young was very clicky in this way that if you were a nobleman from a different province that was considered, you know, the country and you were considered a country bumpkin, even if you were from like the most prominent, richest family and you were unbelievably highly educated and came first in, you know, that regional examination. If you turned up in Hanyang and tried to get a job in the palace after say like getting through the civil service examination or whatever, like, um, basically you just couldn't, they just wouldn't let you. And even if you got in, you would never get promotions. You would never get beyond a certain point. So it's very, very clicky, very, very corrupt. And I was really interested to see that in the drama. And of course, Yong, you know, as this very upstanding man who like, he believes in the system. He believes in justice. He believes in Joseon as, you know, a state system. And so to kind of realize that there's this huge corruption in the government, in the palace, that without this other man sort of stepping forward and clearing the way for him, even though he got first place on the examination, he never in a million years would have been offered the job that he does get offered. Um, and so it's like everything starts to chip away at the certainty he has that his way of thinking is right and everyone else's is wrong. And if peasants are going against, you know, the rules or breaking the rules or becoming criminals, he's starting to have, or I guess be forced to think about that in a different way. Instead of just thinking, well, they deserve to go to jail or they deserve to be executed. He has to think about, but what's the context of them making these decisions to break these rules? Like, are these rules fair? And if they're not fair and he begins to be disillusioned with the system, what does that mean for him? So, of course, this is the point where Yong gets assigned to Sahonbu. And Sahonbu, um, there's a whole drama about Sahonbu, which is uh, really interesting, uh, which is called Heti with Jong Iru, um, the actor playing the lead role in that one, which is a great drama, by the way. Anyway, um, so Sahonbu is basically, um, it's like an investigative government house, um, but it's a little bit different is my understanding anyway, like I'm no expert, but my understanding is it's different from the police bureau and that kind of stuff. And Sahonbu is more concerned with um, like government corruption and also people that are doing things against Confucian ideology. So that could be something small, like we've heard that this, I don't know, widow isn't, you know, I guess honoring the correct morning time or whatever for her husband. Um, so like things against um, the rituals, I suppose, of Confucian life, or it could be something massive, like there is major corruption in the palace and this needs to get investigated. Um, so Yong, that's the job he gets. So of course he, he turns up to Sahonbu. I loved it. It was so funny. He turns up and basically the leader of Sahonbu, who was just a funny side character that I really liked is told to haze the shit out of this, you know, young upstart from the country and make sure that he quits his job. And so this guy, um, who's been told to haze him just like goes to town, poor Yong, and Yong ends up making a deal that he will catch a certain amount of moonshiners. So people who are illegally selling liquor in the capital within a certain amount of time. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to lose his job. So like the stakes are high for him. But of course, as he's like, you know, he does, he catches quite a lot of moonshiners. He's clearly extremely good at his job. He's very good investigator. Um, 
But there's one particular moonshiner that they've heard about and it's like a moving bar. So a bar that's like, you know, on a cart or whatever and people are just going around and selling it to like people who are working at night on the fields and things like this. Uh, And because it's mobile, no one knows where it is, when it's going to be there and no one can find it or capture the people who are running it. And of course, you know, this is driving him crazy. He's about to lose his job. He needs to catch these moonshiners. And of course, He's living in the same house as the woman who's the mastermind behind it. So Rosso, um, you know, she's the, the creator of the mobile bar. She's running around the city doing all this illegal stuff. She's getting involved as the drama progresses, you know, more and more involved with all these different, you know, gangsters and gangs and criminals. And basically the drama follows the progression of Yong, you know, being an actual investigator, <laughs> for the government, living in the same house, eventually realizing that, you know, Rosso is a moonshiner, but he's falling in love with her. He doesn't really want to arrest her. He has no idea what he should do. Um, And she just keeps getting more and more involved in all this like crazy criminal stuff. And then of course, there's like a whole conspiracy and it's just all so much fun. But I just loved the, the opposite side of the tracks kind of thing between them where he really has to learn to see the world in a very different way. And, you know, she's just so cool. There's all these parts in the drama where she's like, I don't know, running these huge criminal gang organizations and like getting liquor shipped, smuggled into the city and like I'm running around with a gun and kidnapping. It's just very cool. It's very cool. She's a very cool character in this. And I kind of love the idea that when we first meet Yong, um, you know, inspector or investigator Yong or whatever, he, he's no good with a sword. Like he's great with a bow and arrow, but he can't really fight that well. It's more about his head. Like he's, you know, he's a scholar. He's got an amazing sharp mind. And so I guess like this kind of, I liked the dynamics. Like I liked, you know, he kind of gets better at being a warrior as the drama goes on, but it's not a huge focus. And so I feel like the roles that they have were very interesting in that, you know, Carrie's character, Rosso, is very good in a fight. She ends up being in charge of, you know, a whole bunch of criminals and like really holds her own. Is a very cool kind of badass girl running around with a gun. And her boyfriend is just so different, I suppose, from you know, maybe what I've seen in a lot of dramas where, you know, the guy's always the mad warrior. He's the cool one. He's the, you know, the one running around saving the day. And I felt like that was more her role in this. And he's more of this really, you know, smart guy who's investigating stuff and also running around trying to help her if he can, but also trying to arrest her as well. So it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Ah, I loved it. Okay. So, I mean, that's the setup. Um, And then of course, uh, Uh, just to introduce the other characters really quickly before I get on with things. So Rosso, you know, the second male lead is a crown prince who comes out of the palace at night disguised as, you know, just a noble gentleman and he keeps buying her alcohol and they just become friends. Um, And of course he falls in love with her. And I loved all that stuff. I thought those vibes were really fun. And the second female lead is the daughter of a very, very high up, I think he's like the defense minister or something or war minister. And she's, you know, just a very high up, She's the kind of character, like a noble woman, that could have been just a really annoying, spoiled brat kind of character, I suppose. Like, you know, for a lot of the drama, all she wants is to meet someone handsome to marry. And, you know, that's quite different to what we're watching our female lead Rosu go through. 
Ross go through where she's, you know, fighting stuff and, and organizing crime gangs and investigating mysteries and just being generally the coolest girl in the world. So I feel like the second female lead could have been really a frustrating, annoying character, especially because she, you know, through their family, she ends up being engaged to Yong, um, which could have created all sorts of conflict. But all it does is kind of bring this second female lead. Um, this character's name is Ye Jin. Uh, so Yejin, this noble daughter, kind of into um, Rosso's sort of gang and she's always like helping Rosso and they, they end up being friends and Yejin is just so bright and funny and nice and good. Like she's really good. I, I just, I loved her. I thought she was such a fun character. Um, all right. So that's heaps of setup and now I'm going to move into some stuff that I loved about Moonshine. All right, so stuff that I loved about Moonshine, um, definitely just the overall vibes. It's very fun, fizzy, very focused on the rom-com, the bickering couple, the progression of the romance, the complications of the love triangle, and just some really great, I thought, um, kind of female friendship stuff between a very bright and unexpected second female lead, heaps of mystery kind of like investigation stuff, um, some really unexpected sort of plot lines I think that were just very rollicking and fun so yeah I really really enjoyed it um obviously I just adored Harry um she's great in this as an actress and also aside from that I think that the character is a wonderful character that's been written fantastically and I loved her performance of it as well um but the character um of Rosso is just like she's such a badass she's so cool she's like waving a gun around like She's just so awesome and I loved her and it was really fun, I guess. You know, and I'm a big, I'm kind of, I actually, it's really strange when it comes to historicals. Um, I really love dramas where, you know, that kind of explore in depth how women can be strong when they have all these restraints on them that were real restraints of the time. Like, for instance, the way the red sleeve cuff explores the female lead's world. You know, her world is very stifling. It's very small. There's a lot of restrictions on her, but that doesn't mean that she's not a strong woman who can, um, you know, kind of make choices and lead the life that she wants to lead. But at the same time, even though I love stories like that, and I do, I think they're amazing. I also love stories where you've just got a girl doing something a little bit against I guess, type or cast or stereotype where, um, and I really like the dynamics in this where, you know, if there's big, big action beats, she sort of gets involved in that stuff as well. You know, she's running around, she's really um, active in this plot. She's really the one that drives things forward a lot um, and does some crazy stuff like smuggling alcohol into the city and nearly getting caught. So heaps of fun. Um, and so Yoo Sung Ho's character, I really liked as well. Um, I guess I won't go into it because I've already said it, but the whole stick in the mud scholar thing and how that creates such a funny dynamic with Rosso, who's like, she's living in the real world and he is not. And there's just the kind of conflict that that brings up, but very silly conflict is just really great. Um, he really begins the drama in a place where he doesn't even want to sit next to her at a table because she's a woman and she should be sitting at a different table. And of course, you know, you can imagine where that leads and what he has to do is immediately sit next to her in a very uncomfortable, but very funny way. So yeah, it's just really kind of cute, but really nice, 
nice to see the progression, I suppose. Um, so I liked, uh, what else have I read? Oh, so there's a whole thing, I guess I'll just mention briefly, but I really liked that we kind of get this flashback with Yong, our male lead, when, when he's a kid, he kind of gets stuck in his temple while people are murdering each other all around him, which ends up being a huge plot point. And he believes and remembers that a tiger came and saved his life saved his life so I loved this I loved this idea that for a lot of the drama you think that this is real you think a tiger saved him and then as the drama progresses you realize it's this traumatic memory of a child who feels so much grief and pain and fear but also guilt over kind of this man who saves his life dying and this man happened to have like tiger pelt around his arms and so he's you know poor our male lead when he's young, um, he's just sort of flipped it in his mind. He's made up a version that he can cope with a little bit better, which was that his recently dead mother had sent the tiger to save his life. Um, so I thought that was really fun as just sort of a mystery reveal. And of course, you know, it relates back to our female lead and her backstory. Um, so I've just really enjoyed, um, I've written here, Yong's whole disillusion dis disillusionment, yeah, arc, you know, as he begins to realise that the world is not as simple, not as black and white, not as easily explainable, that right and wrong, you know, there are shades between that. And I thought that was a really interesting, yeah, I guess just character journey for him that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so I really quite liked the baddie plot in this drama. So the baddie is, you know, he's this kind of big minister in um, the palace. Like he's the chief, well, chief royal secretary or whatever. He's like basically the king's right-hand man. And at first you kind of, you like this guy. You feel like he's the only sort of minister in the palace who doesn't belong to one of, you know, the corrupt factions who only care about their own family and only care about making money. And all the other ministers are just trying to squeeze the king into doing whatever is better for them personally and this guy the chief royal secretary seems to be the only person who who seems to actually care about the country and the king you know doing well for the country and he's really the one who ensures that Yong is rightfully given his place as winning the first place in the civil service examination um which you know all the corrupt officials were trying to sort of pretend that didn't happen so at first you're like, oh, he's a good guy. And then he starts trying to recruit Yong into being part of his group, you know, like let's support the king together. Like you don't join one of those factions. But Yong is very, you know, he's very upstanding. He doesn't really want to compromise for anybody. He doesn't want to belong to somebody where he has to ever do something that they want him to do if he doesn't feel that that's right in his heart. Like he's so righteous. And I did really like his moral compass. That's so strong. And even when he gets disillusioned and he realizes the world is more complicated, he still has a very strong sense of right and wrong, which I really enjoyed. Um, well, I thought it was very admirable, I suppose I should say. Um, so yeah, the bad guy was really interesting because for a lot of the drama, I guess he isn't a bad guy. There's sort of like a gangster guy that's the real, you know, he's the, the one that you're worried about. And it's more towards the end of the drama that you realize this guy is, is actually the mastermind behind it all. And we realize that what's happened is this guy used to be the right-hand man of the previous crown prince 10 years earlier. And he's basically poisoned the crown prince because the crown prince didn't want to sort of, you know, make a political move, I suppose, that this chief royal secretary thinks is really important and will be really good for the country. So he's one of these guys who believes that the means, the end justifies the means. That's what I'm trying to say. So he, he'll do anything and he'll think he's in the right 
because he thinks that what he's trying to do, the result of it will be good for the people, be a good thing that he's going to do. Um, but of course, you know, he's willing to kill a shit ton of people and do all sorts of bad stuff. And really, it ends up being about power with him. Um, but I did like that he got a real backstory. I like that the drama fleshed him out and made him a little bit complicated. So, you know, there's moments where you feel really sorry for him. You know, we find out he used to be a slave. We find out how he used to be treated. Um, all sorts of terrible things have happened to him that do make you empathize with maybe some of the decisions he's made, or at least why he is the way that he is. But at the same time, you know, he's done awful, awful things, including murdering the previous crown prince, which is a pretty big fucking deal. So yeah, I really liked that. I just liked that he, he wasn't just a, you know, mustache twirling villain. He was a bit of a surprise. So that was fun. Um, so I've written that I really loved the romance and the love triangle. And I did bickering stuff is just so my jam. I love it. Um, I think it's really funny. I think it leads to a lot of like kind of funny skinship stuff, um, where everyone's always, you know, pushing each other around and just stomping around and I don't know, just really grumpy with each other. I don't know why I find that so cute, but I do. So it was really fun. And it's even more fun because he's literally trying to arrest her and she's trying to escape him all the time. And he has no idea it's her. And of course she knows it's him. So it's very funny. Um, and again, I really liked the love triangle. Um, I just thought, I don't know, it actually worked for me. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kind of petty jealousy that it inspires in Yong. And yeah, I guess I, yeah, I enjoyed the impact of it. It was just really cute and fun and um, it was a good one for me. Um, so I found the second male lead who plays the crown prince. I found him very charming. Um, you know, he's a bit of, he, at the start of the show, he's just like a bit of a playboy, I guess, you know, he's super smooth and charming and he's a bit of a, you know, a flower boy, very handsome. And he just swans around town at night at all the illegal bars, drinking copious amounts of alcohol and charming everybody. Um, but of course we realize, you know, peel back those layers and you find out that basically 10 years earlier, he was not the crown prince. He was never meant to be the crown prince. He was the younger brother and his older brother, was next in line for the throne, but his older brother gets poisoned by the chief royal secretary, who's our big baddie guy. But that big baddie guy is actually this new prince. Wow, did that make sense? So the second male leads um, uncle. So this means that the chief royal secretary murdered the previous crown prince in order to get his own nephew onto the throne in order to obviously solidify his own power. Um, and at this point, uh, our second male lead, the crown prince, he, he doesn't know this, but he knows that his older brother got poisoned and he knows that everyone in the palace thinks that it was him and his mother or like his mother's done it, or at least thinks, that, you know, his older brother was basically murdered in order for our second male lead to rise to the throne. So there's this huge, like well of guilt, I suppose. Um, and the thing is, it's true. That is why his older brother died, among other reasons too, I guess, with him not listening to the chief royal secretaries, you know, once or whatever. Um, so I liked that. I like that he has this sort of real vulnerable sort of lost boy thing at the center of this kind of drinking problem, I suppose, that he has. Like he has mad nightmares. He can never sleep. He has insomnia. He's got a lot of problems and he is just literally drinking himself into oblivion in order to cope with his day-to-day. -day. So I did find that quite interesting. I liked that he wasn't just a happy-go-lucky, charming, handsome man. I liked that 
he it's all fake you know he's just faking every outward thing that's going on and of course when he meets um rosso he falls in love with her um because she's she's a pretty cool lady so i'm not surprised but um that kind of leads me to the second female lead so the second female lead uh yejin is her name she you know she sees this flower boy crown prince like once has no idea he's a crown prince she just thinks he's some you know rich dude um and just falls head over heels for him because he's so handsome and that's literally the only reason that she loves him but somehow she's so charming that this did not annoy me at all um she's just i don't know i really liked her and she just hits on him excessively constantly even when she's engaged to someone else and then eventually she realizes that you know for a while she thinks that he likes her back and eventually she realizes he doesn't and she's absolutely crushed but she's just so persistent, but not in a creepy way, I want to say, because <laughs> like that sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? But I swear that she's not. And she basically just says to him, like, you know, I'm going to win your heart. And she comes through for him in the the most biggest of ways towards the end of the drama. So I feel like, um, you know, she had every right to continue hitting on him like this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just I thought she was wonderful. Um, and I guess uh, that whole thing that she does at the end, which I really loved, is there's this whole plot that happens that the, you know, the evil chief royal secretary is kind of putting into place and he's sort of controlling the crown prince um, into lying. And if the crown prince lies, um, the crown prince believes that by doing that, he's going to save the life of his mother. He's going to save the life of Rosso and that he thinks he'll save the life of inspector yong our male lead but of course he won't and eventually like you know the crown prince is doing some bad shit he's lying but you know he's being manipulated and you understand that he's i don't want to say he's not smart (laughs) he probably is smart but he's like he's not politically smart um he hasn't really thought this through and he he's just so easily sort of swayed and influenced um and i just love this whole thing where when yejin you know at this point she's in the palace she kind of gets wind of the crown prince sort of being involved in this really bad plot that is potentially going to get our male lead killed. And the crown prince feels awful about it. Like this is his first friend ever and he's about to potentially get this guy murdered. And Yejin just marches in there and she's just like, no, you absolutely cannot do this. Fuck you if you think you're going to do this. Do something else. And he's just like, no, but you know, I can't. And she's like, of course you fucking can. And then she just basically holds his hand and sorts everything out for him and I was just like that was so cool because I just couldn't figure out how like he was just getting so dark he was going to really bad places and I'm like oh no and I just couldn't figure out how he was going to sort himself out and I love that she just marches in there and she's just like nah fuck this I'm sorting this shit out (laughs) and then of course after that he he owes her big time like not only did Yejin save the life of you know our male lead but she saved the heart and, you know, sense of well-being of the crown prince who was about to go down a very dark road and become a very different kind of man than, you know, he really wanted to be. He was about to compromise his soul, I suppose. Um, so another thing on my list that I really liked, uh, you know, just the mystery. I thought it was really fun. There's all sorts of mystery stuff about who's the group that are, you know, bringing in all the moonshine and when they meet this big bad gangster, like who's he connected to and who's backing him and why have this um, kind of government agency being formed to you know ensure prohibition and turns out they're actually like involved in moonshining and it's all just a ploy for the chief uh, royal secretary to raise an army basically which is um kind of a cool plot 
And then, of course, it all links back into um, our female leads, dad's history and all this kind of stuff and the prince's poisoning. So it's really good fun. I really liked it. Loads of danger. Lots of people hanging off cliffs, having like knives thrown at them. I don't think that happens, but, you know, lots of shit happens to everybody. And that was really fun. Really high stakes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I really enjoyed our female lead's older, useless brother. Um, He was silly but I liked him as just a useless addition that she's just sort of got this guy she has to keep worrying about it's kind of funny um and then that random gangster guy that I mentioned um Sung Mok who initially meets our female lead in the market and gets his hair ripped out you know eventually they kidnap this guy they're both like um our female lead Rosso and her friend are basically trying to murder him which is pretty intense and then he falls off a cliff and then he loses his memory and he just sort of becomes their best friend and he just loves her like he just is so fond of her and then at the very end of the drama I think one of the last scenes the last scene he kind of falls over and knocks his head and he remembers how much he hates her and the drama finishes with him like basically chasing her it's very funny once again and I just I thought he was an interesting character because I just he just seems like an idiot goon who's just going to, you know, get bumped off at the beginning. And I liked the whole about turn. It was just unexpected, I suppose. Um, the other baddie gangster who sort of, you think he's sort of the main gangster for most of the drama until it turns out, surprise, there's someone behind him. Uh, and this is a dude called Merchant Shim. Uh, Shim. So he's kind of a young a young guy who's very scary and I thought he was a great villain just really great villain like he's a full like gangster he's really scary he murders a lot of people um you know real organized crime kind of vibes going on um but I just thought he was a really worthy villain that I actually was interested in kind of figuring out what he was doing and what his plots were and he just felt like what is it like a worthy adversary for you know Rosso's character um in, in the drama that really upped the stakes. So I really enjoyed him. And of course, uh, there's also another main character who is a Gisang. She's basically the, I think you say Hengsu, Hengsu at the Gibang. So like the head uh, Gisang at the, the Gibang house, entertainment house. And her character's name is Wunshim, uh, I guess. And again, I really liked her. She's just beautiful, like stunningly beautiful woman and very oh you just don't know whose side she's on what she's up to like she just seems to be swapping sides and then even when she ends up on you know our hero sides against the you know this merchant gangster shim um you just don't really know there's some sort of connection there between them and you know when he's about to get killed she saves him and stuff so it's all just very interesting I think with her and I really liked all that um I'll go into stuff I didn't like and the ending and then I will stop waffling into your ears all right so stuff that I didn't like as much about moonshine there wasn't much I'll be honest this one really charmed me it was just what a joy. Um, so one thing I really didn't like was the Winter Olympics. <laughs> I really disliked having to wait so many weeks just to watch the last two episodes of this show. It was very, very frustrating. And I think even though I still loved the last two episodes, I think it just took the wind out of my sails. Like I was just full steam ahead, surging through this drama, enjoying every moment. And then there's like so many weeks before I saw just the final two episodes. And by that point, I was like, who are these people again? What's going on? I don't remember the plot, you know. Um, so anyway, that was fine. But also 
Boo. <laughs> um, and then the only thing I didn't like, um, and this is not, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't something that I really didn't like. It was something that I, I mean, I guess I didn't like it, I suppose. So the most beautiful gisang, so the, the hengsu at the gibang, unshim, her name is, um, you know, I guess the, the the sort of other baddie gangster guy, so Merchant Shim is his name. So he's the baddie for most of the drama until you realize, you know, there's someone backing him. There's a high official actually is the real baddie. So this Merchant Shim, we find out later at the very end that he's actually the son of the big baddie, the royal secretary. And the royal secretary never recognized him um, or, you know, I guess never even knew he existed, actually. And this merchant Shim is sort of very loyal to his dad in the hopes that one day, you know, he'll impress his dad and then he'll confess that he's actually his dad's son and the dad will love him. But what's really happened is the dad has turned this young man into his dog, basically, into, you know, a killer, into a very bad guy. And we see that when this merchant Shim was a little boy, he was, you know, homeless on the streets with nowhere to go. His mother had died and the Gibang took him in. Um, so this particular Gisang, uh, Unshim, when she was, you know, a young trainee Gisang, she brought him in and saved his life and gave him food. And he ended up working at the Gibang, presumably, and, you know, just making a living from doing anything anybody asks. Um, and clearly they have this sort of childhood connection that they were friends you know and then she confesses to him when he's sleeping and practically dead unconscious I suppose that it really kept her warm for years after he left to go and become his dad's lackey um she dreamed about it was her hope it was a hope that kept her warm and kept her living this idea that when he grew up he'd come back for her and they'd leave together and this just made me so sad I think I have a real thing for like I don't know. I like Gisangs. I don't, I wish there was more dramas about a Gisang where they could have a happy ending in their own love story. And I just, I feel like I just wanted them not to die so tragically at the end. I just wanted, but like, I get it. He, he, he'd basically turned into a very bad guy. He'd murdered a lot of people very viciously um, and done a lot of bad things. But I also feel that I wouldn't have minded a redemption arc for him um, just in the fact that, you know, she she thinks he's dying, the Gisang Unshim. So she goes and confronts, you know, his dad, who's the chief royal secretary. And she does this amazing, cool sword dance. And then she gets a sword at this guy's throat. And she's basically like, you're a fucking idiot. You've been so mean to your son that you didn't know existed. And he's just been like begging for your love. And also you shot an arrow in his belly and he fell off a cliff, but I saved him. Ha, you didn't know that. That's sort of what she says. And then, you know, obviously everything goes to shit and she's about to get killed. And this gangster guy, Merchant Shim, turns up and his dad's real shocked. He's like, well, I thought you were dead because I thought that I, you know, murdered you. Um, and the merchant is really sad. He's like, he's crying and he's all like, you know, and basically he just says he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care about his stupid dad. He doesn't care about anything. And we realize that, you know, obviously he does love this Gisang, but they've never got it together. They've always, you know, he's had other priorities and she's just locked into her life as a Gisang. Like there's no out for her and this conversation they have is really really fucking sad and then you know he gets merchant shim just gets completely stabbed up or shot or some shit i don't know anyway he collapses in blood and then she's like 
basically crying over him being like, don't leave. And he's just like, I'm really sorry. You know, I should have, you know, I should have been with you. That's what I should have done with my life. I shouldn't have done all this shit for this stupid idiot who doesn't like me. And I was just, I found it so sad. I just... I, and then, you know, she, once he dies, he dies in her arms and she's crying. And basically she's like, this time I'm not going to let you leave alone. And then she kills herself and then she dies. And I was just like, that is so fucking tragic. And I know he was a bad dude. He killed a lot of people, but I wish that they could have run away into the sunset together and just started again. And, you know, sure, he'll be all tortured and feel guilty or whatever, but you know, they'll be okay. I just wish they could have just run off together. I would have been so happy if they'd run off together. Um, so anyway, that was the only thing. And now I'm just going to mention a weird thing, right? Um, because I just remembered it and I forgot to write it down. So my dad, this is a really weird thing. He came over when I was watching the second last episode of this drama and he watched it with me. Um, he had no idea what was going on because he hadn't seen the rest of the drama. (laughs) And he said, (laughs) he said that the male lead had potato hands and I was like what is a potato hand and what do you mean that the very handsome actor Yu Sung Ho has potato hands what does this mean (laughs) and I don't know what it means I still don't know what it means I'm not sure if my dad knows what it means he reckons he has potato hands too his hands look quite normal to me anyway that was just a really random thing that happened while I was watching this show that just popped into my mind and I felt that I would share it with you all. I really don't know. It might have something to do with like Irish heritage. My dad does have Irish heritage, but still. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyway, I don't think the actor has potato hands. He's got very nice hands, handsome hands. I mean, maybe potato hands are handsome hands. Maybe my dad thought that use of those hands were handsome. We'll just leave it there because I really don't know. Anyway, moving onwards. Um, so the ending of Moonshine. Other than the tragedy of the Gisang and the gangster and their love and dying, I found the ending really, really satisfying. Um, it was really fun. There was some stuff I really enjoyed around Kung, Kung Rosu, so our female lead, Rosso. <laughs> Bloody hell, her name. Uh, Rosso which I really love. Like at this point, she's a wanted woman. Everyone knows who she is, but no one knows where she is. So they can't capture her. The people are just in awe of her. If they see her face, everyone's like, oh, you know, it's her, it's her. Wow. And a whole bunch of like peasants, like totally innocent peasants are about to get executed for drinking alcohol. Um, and she basically turns up with a gun and is just the biggest badass in the whole world. And I love her. (laughs) She was really cool. So I really, really loved all that. That was really fun. And then I also particularly loved the second female lead, Yejin, like swooping in and saving the idiot crown prince from himself. <laughs> I just, it was so much fun watching that. Um, and I also quite like, so we get a skip forward for a year and we find out that the idiot crown prince, who, you know, I'm calling him an idiot because he kind of is, but I also really liked him. But we find out that he's actually abdicated being a crown prince. There's another little baby prince somewhere else in the palace and he's let that, you know, that guy become the crown prince and he's going to go off and ride around the countryside or something instead. And I was like, I feel that that's a good move. Um, I feel like that's a good thing to do because I think he's too easily influenced. I don't think that he has the right head on his shoulders to be a king. Um, I think bad things would happen under his rule. 
But I also really liked that Ye Jin's just like, I'm coming with you and there's nothing you can do. And he's kind of like, this is okay. I don't mind. <laughs> so you know they're going to end up together and I feel like they'll be quite happy together, uh, which I thought was lovely. Um, the big baddie, of course, gets his his little head chopped off, um, our chief royal secretary. And when he's about to die, he starts thinking about his, you know, his, his dead friend who is our female lead's dad, which is, you know, a huge plot thing. And I was like, mate, why don't you think about your poor son who died in front of your eyes just a couple of days ago, who you also flung off a cliff or whatever, but he doesn't, he doesn't give a shit about his son. So yeah, that was sad, <laughs> but it was fine. And then the only other thing that was kind of weird was, you know, we had this skip forward for a whole year and then we catch up with, you know, Yong, our male lead and Rosso, our female lead. And I don't know what they've been up to for the whole year because the scene that they get in, you know, that section is kind of him being like, I love you. Let's be together. And she's like, are you sure? Like, I am very notorious ex-criminal <laughs> and not the kind of person um, your parents want you to marry. And he's just like, look, I really don't care about that. I love you. So it's very swoony and lovely. But I'm like, Young, why didn't you say this a whole year ago? Like, what have you been doing all year? <laughs> anyway, um, that's it. Oh, and I forgot to say another thing I really enjoyed was Yong's Sahonbu buddies. So like his two workmates, he's kind of got like an underling at work um, with a mad pointy hat that I loved, um, which is, you know, he's a guard in the Sahonbu, like an enforcer. And then the guy who's kind of initially was hazing him, who in the end becomes his friend. I really liked both of those dudes. I thought they were good fun. All right. So that brings me to the end of my big, long waffle on moonshine um so the best thing for me about moonshine was the cool girls i think um also the romance the boys were brilliant as well but particularly the girls i think were very shiny in this drama their characters were so much fun and badass and cool but in different ways too you know like um yejin isn't going to the second female lead isn't going to get involved in a fight in the way that Harry's female lead will but she's also you know, very brave and courageous girl in a different way. So I just really liked, I liked both of them. Um, and the worst thing, oh, the worst thing was definitely the death of the Gisang and the gangster. I thought that was really sad. Um, but also like it was done well. I just, you know, I could have done with some happiness in their ending. I mean, there's a lot of silly stuff in this drama. So, you know, I don't care if it's not realistic. <laughs> Just let them be happy. Um, anyway, that's it. I'm done. Uh, goodbye. So that's all I'm going to say on the rom-com Joseon set. Uh, 2022 drama Moonshine starring Yu Sung Ho and Harry. Thank you for listening to my mad long waffle. <laughs>